Sometimes what you think is going to be great, this, this, turn, this is not, doesn't work out the, the way that you thought it was uh, going to. And, and, and I don't know if you've, you've experienced, probably you've experienced that, you've probably experienced this, that uh, sometimes that you, the things you think are going to be terrible. Oh, good job, DJ, thanks. Sometimes the things you think are going to be terrible actually t- turn out kind of uh, terrific. Um, which is, I'm sure, how you Chiefs fans felt last week. You, you, you know, you went in thinking you were going to lose, and then you won, and that's exciting for you. Uh, anyway, I couldn't. I could. <laughs> uh, let's just say, let's just say it was a sad week for football. Sad week, sad week for football. All right. Well, anyway, the point is, you, you never really know how something is going to turn out un, until it turns out, right? We, we never really know. And so, um, and, and so here's the point, maybe. Uh, you cannot tell what God has planned based on what's going on in the present. And that's a struggle for many of us because we, look, we, we tend to look at our lives like in the moment and, and, and we think, oh, you know, this is how this is going to turn out. And, and then we, like, we kind of put all our eggs in that box and it doesn't, doesn't work out that way. Maybe you know somebody, I, I've, got a, I've got a few um, friends, people I know, family stuff, and, and it seems like everything that kind of come down the pike to them, they think, this is, this is it right? This is going to change everything. This business decision, this job change, this new car, whatever, everything is going to be different. Everything is going to be changed. My life is finally going to turn out the way I, I want it to, right? Like, like this new girl, this new guy, and then life is finally going to be right. And, and, then, and then that doesn't happen. Every time that I have tried to figure out like what God is up to, I, like I've just been wrong. <laughs> God, I, like I never guessed. And, and it's, either, it's either better than I expected um, it to be or, or it's worse. And I, I'm, you know, I'm like, oh, for five million in that d- department. I just never get it figured out. And often what I thought was going to be great brought me grief. And those things that I, that I thought were going to be terrible, they turn out to be something Terrific. And, and so when you're a follower of Jesus, you cannot, you cannot determine the outcome b- based on the outset. You can't figure out what, what God is going to do. And it doesn't take you very long looking through Scripture to, to see the stories of individuals where you go, like, this person's down and out. Like, there's no way that God can use them. There's no way that God can get him this, out of this situation. And then all of a sudden, everything changes. And, and maybe the greatest example of that is is, is Lazarus and Mary and Martha, his sisters, right? I mean, they, they come to Jesus and they go, they go Jesus, um, you, like Lazarus is going to die. He's very sick. You've got to come and you've got to save him. And then Jesus doesn't come. And then Lazarus dies. And then Jesus shows up and they're like, well, like you read the story, like Jesus, had you have been here before Lazarus died, Everything, like you could have brought him, but you could have healed him. Everything would have been okay. It would have all been great. And, and they go, but now there's no hope, right? 
He's dead. He's been dead for four days. There's no way anybody can, can help this situation. It's over. Like it's written. The end has come. Like there's no, there's no coming back from this. And I love the way Jesus prays in, in, in that moment. He, he, he prays to God, and, and he's just like, God, thanks for hearing me. And I know that you always hear me, but I thank you for hearing me in this time so that those around here can, can believe. <laughs> Jesus is like, I already know what's going to happen, but God, I'm thankful that there's people around to witness that when you have God, like it's never the end. Whatever you think is the end, it's, it's, never, it's never the end. You cannot determine the outcome based on the outset. And, and I think there are a few stories, like larger stories in the Bible, there are a few stories that, that make this point, this point, more clearly than the life of Joseph in the Old Testament. So Joseph is the 11th son of his father Jacob. And if you, if you know the biblical story and the timeline of the Jewish people, uh, it goes Abraham, God calls Abraham, then his son Isaac, and then Isaac's son Jacob. And Jacob gets his name changed to Israel. God changes his name to Israel. And then, and then Israel, the man, gives birth to his wife, a couple of wives, 12 sons. They become the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel, the Jewish people or Hebrew people. They're, they're, it's all the same, right? So Joseph is the 11th son of his father Jacob or, or Israel. So he's one of the patriarchs of the 12 tribes that make up the nation of, of Israel, the Jewish people. And um, Joseph, I, like I was trying to think, how do I... How do I describe Joseph? Like, I don't want to get too, too into it. Like, you can go to Genesis and read the story. But how do I describe Joseph? And I finally um, settled on this. Um, J- Joseph was a, a snot-nosed punk who thought that he was the center of the universe. Like, I, I don't know how else to describe him. Like, Joseph was just one of those people who, who thought that the world revolved around him. That, that he was the, the great, so he's got 10 older brothers, right? And, and, and just, how many of you have an older brother? Just raise your hand if you've got an older brother. Okay, you, you are going to understand what, what's happening today in this story. You're going to have a keen insight that, that the rest of you just aren't, aren't going to have. I, I had an older brother, seven years older um, than me, and so I, I totally um, get this. Joseph has 10 older brothers, and yet as the youngest of his father's sons, he, he acted like he was number one. And in some respects, he, he was, because if you, you remember being in high school or whatever, and, and maybe as a play, your school did uh, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. You remember that? Um, that? That's a story, right? That's a story from Genesis. So Jacob loved Joseph more than his other sons, and so he made for him a, a, a jacket, a cloak, an outer garment that, that had a whole bunch of different color. It was, it was flashy, okay? It was like you could see him coming from a long way off. And you just get this idea reading the story that Joseph was one of those guys where like he came to breakfast late and he had his coat on, and he just kind of, you know, swaggers into the kitchen. 
and, you know, gives mom a little kiss on the cheek and, hey, dad. And he, like, just walks in front of all his other brothers. Now, if you're a younger brother, you know exactly what that's going to get you later when mom and dad aren't looking, right? I, I mean, Joseph just, like, couldn't, he just, man, he, like, he just knew he was something, and he kind of rubbed it in the face of his older brothers, like, just on a consistent basis. And so last week, we talked about Daniel, and, and basically, we said, Daniel, Daniel's a lot like Jesus. Like, Daniel, there is no record that Daniel ever did anything wrong. That is not the case in, in the story of Joseph. Like, his younger years, you're just down the list. You're like, my goodness, this this guy is, uh, what is the old saying? This guy is cruising for a, a bruising. And if you don't, if you're too young to know that statement, um, well, I, I don't know, I've talked with your parents or something. You, like, you just didn't get beat enough uh, growing up. Because that's like, like if you had an older brother, you, you know. Like I knew when, when I was with my parents and I said that sarcastic thing to my, like I knew what was coming. I was cruising for a bruising and I was gonna, I was gonna get it. Um, Joseph's story, though, helps us understand one of the most difficult concepts about being a disciple of Jesus, and, it, and it's this, that God works all things, even the bad things, for his glory and, and our collective good or your individual good, right? And so God, God works all things, even the, the bad things, the terrible things we think are going to happen, the valleys that we go through, all things for his glory and, and our good. And sometimes, Sometimes it seems like God actually causes the bad things in order to bring about the good. Now, if you, if you just let that sit with you for a few minutes, it, it will rock you, right? But because that's not what we think about, right? We think about everything good comes from God. And so if I'm blessed, if I'm happy, if I've got money in the bank, if my car's running, if my kids are safe then I'm blessed by God. And so to think that God might actually bring some bad into our lives so that from it he might bring some good, we do not like that kind of, don't like that kind of talk. Like that's, that's crazy. We can't, we can't talk about that. And so we have um, Job, remember? Job said, should I accept good from God and not bad. Now, God is still God. I still have to praise him and worship him in the midst of, of all of that stuff. And so, and so the concept is just, it's a struggle for us. But, but before we, we jump into the text anymore, I, I want to I talk a little bit more about, about Joseph, about his life, and about his story. Because what we're going to look at in Genesis chapter 45 it actually kind of happens at the end of, of Joseph's story. And I, and I want to make sure, because I know we've got a lot of people who, who didn't grow up in church and come through church, um, don't know a lot of the stories. And so I always try to, to make sure, uh, whether you're joining us or at home or, or in person, that kind of everybody's on the same page. We all kind of know where the story's going, where it, where it came from. So we are introduced to, to this guy named Joseph in Genesis chapter 37. And, and right off the bat... You like nobody likes him. If you've read the story, if you're reading the story, you're like, 
like just almost immediately, you're like, this guy's a creep. Like I don't, if, if I'd, I'd give him some bruises if <laughs> I were around him at the time. So um, like verse 37, by verse 2, Joseph is a tattletale. Like he sees his brothers, his 10 older brothers, doing something they shouldn't out in the field, and he runs home and tells daddy. If that didn't get him a beaten later, I mean, I just who he is. Like he's his father's favorite, and then, and then he just rubs his, his brother's nose. It's like, it seems like every opportunity, he's just like getting him in trouble. I don't know, maybe you had, a, like I had an older, older brother and then older sister. She was five years older um, than, than me, and, and here's what she used to do. We would sit at the dinner table, and uh, I, you know, I don't know if you have this, but at the, when, when we were young, we like sat at the dinner table every night for dinner, and we had like assigned seats, right? Dad always sit in the same place, mom always sit. So Connie and I actually sat across from each other at the, at the dinner table every, every night for dinner. And during the meal, sometime on a regular basis, she would kind of put her hand up because mom sat next, she kind of put her hand up. And she would stick her food in her mouth. She'd chew it and she'd stick it out at me. Well, I'm, I'm the younger, so I just, I just do it back to her. And then I get slapped. <laughs> so, so this is the, kind of the feeling that I get, with, but it's in reverse, right? Like Joseph is the one taunting his older brothers, doing these things, and when his older brothers like go, okay, buddy, it's on, then they're the ones that get in trouble. And so you just don't like Joseph at, at the very beginning. In, in fact, um, just, just like I think verse four or something, it, it, says, it says Joseph's brothers couldn't say a kind word to him. And that's, the, that's the biblical equivalent of Joseph's brothers hated him. They just didn't have any use for him at all. Like just, they didn't talk to him. They didn't do anything with him. And, and if you have an older brother, if you're one of those that raised your hand, you, you understand this. When I was growing up, like my, my brother could, couldn't say a good thing about me. Like it was just, we just did not have a good relationship. Well, it gets, it gets even worse because just a few verses down in the beginning of chapter 37, Joseph has a couple dreams, and in these dreams, he is like a, a king, um, and his brothers, and, and even in the second dream, his mom and dad actually bow down to him. Now, if you're a younger sibling, you know if you have a dream like that, you keep your mouth shut. You don't, you don't tell anybody about that, because that, like, that's, that is just... Man, you're just asking for it at that point. But Joseph doesn't do it, doesn't keep his mouth shut because we've already, like he just says whatever. And so Joseph goes to his older brothers and he tells them, hey guys, guess what? I had a dream last night and in my dream, you all bowed down and worshiped me. <laughs> oh my goodness. Anyway, um, like dude, your brothers already can't stand you. Why are you throwing gasoline on, on the fire? I, I don't get it. Okay, by verse 13 in, in chapter 37, <laughs> um, it, like his brothers are just had enough. They, seen, they see Joseph coming in the field. They take him. They take this fancy robe off of him. They rip it to shreds. They put blood all over it, and they throw Joseph into a, into a dry cistern, and they sell him to some traveling uh, guys, Gibeonites, I think, that are headed down to eat. They, they traffic him for money 
to Egypt to be a, to be a slave. They, they basically thought, like, like we're not going to kill him. We're going to give him to these guys. And, and if they don't kill him, Joseph is going to wish he was dead. That's kind of the, the situation. Now, um, maybe Joseph's ego wasn't bad enough to uh, warrant slavery in a foreign country. But, but if you are or you had an, an older brother, you, you, you know that at some point they thought about that. <laughs> like maybe I can just sell them and make a few bucks and just not have to deal with them any, anymore. But when we talk about the, the valley periods of Joseph, being sold by his brothers into slavery is like it's just the tip of the iceberg for Joseph. So in chapter 39... Joseph is, is sold into slavery in, in Egypt, and we're not told like exactly what happens, but it's not good for him, right? Like, like he, he's not treated well, he's not fed well, like he just, like he's subhuman at this point, and, and these things aren't, aren't very good for him. And so in verse 39, he's picked up by this guy, he's purchased by this guy named Potiphar, who was one of Pharaoh's officials. So he was, he was high up in the kingdom at, at the time. And, and Joseph comes into this. I, the, the Easton, what Easton talked about was, was perfect for the message because Joseph comes into this, and by this time, I think he's being humbled a little bit. He thought he was all that, and, and now he's, he's nobody. He, he basically is standing there naked in front of a bunch of people who are giving money for him, and he thinks he's going to go work out in a field somewhere and probably going to be dead within a few years. But he's picked up by, by Potiphar. Potiphar is an official in Pharaoh's house. Potiphar brings him in, and, and Joseph kind of starts at the bottle. He, they actually make him a, a, a house servant. And Joseph does so well. He proves himself to be responsible and, and, and kind and good in the things that he was given, the assignments he was given. And eventually, and I don't know how long it took, but probably over many years, Joseph becomes the, the lead servant in, in the household. In fact, Potiphar says to Joseph, everything is under your control. Everything I own, all my other servants, all my property, everything is under your control. Everything except my wife and I. Because that's the only two things that you don't have total and complete control of. Well, if you know the story, um, Potiphar's wife kind of takes a liking to, to Joseph. And, and she begins this process of trying to seduce him to sleep with her. And she tries multiple times. And, and each time he kind of evades her. And, and finally, by, by the end, she sends all the other servants out of the house he comes in, nobody else is there. She says, hey, let's go. He has too much respect for his boss. He says, no, I'm, and, he, and he tries to leave. And, and once again, his outer cloak comes into to play. And she grabs it and, and he slips out of it and he runs out of the house and she's angry that this happened. And so she screams for servants to come in and she accuses Joseph of raping her. And Potiphar is so angry, like, I put you in charge of everything, and then you do this to me. Potiphar is so angry that he throws Joseph into prison. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. Prison in, in that day and age, it's not a pleasant thing. It's, it's not good. Um, they didn't get fed. They didn't have beds to sleep in. They didn't get TV to watch or outdoors time or anything like that. It was bad, bad situation. And he's a foreigner, and he's a slave in, in an Egyptian prison. 
Like you think they don't treat their nationals very good. They sure don't treat foreigners very well. And so Joseph goes into this prison situation and and just like in Potiphar's house, he proves himself to be trustworthy and a man of character and he does the right things over and over again. And eventually the guy in charge of the prison puts Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners. While he's there in, in the prison, he meets two people, the cupbearer and the baker for Pharaoh. Pharaoh had gotten mad for some reason, and he put them both in, in prison, and the cupbearer and the baker both have a dream, and they don't know what it means, and so they come to Joseph. Joseph prays to God, and he says, God has given me the interpretation of your dream, and he shares the dream with them, and, and his, it comes true, right? So the cupbearer goes back to work for Pharaoh, and the baker is is killed. Three days later, this is what, this is what happens. And Joseph says, um, when he interprets the dreams, that the, the cupbearer is like, man, what can I do for you? How can I? And Joseph says nothing. He just says, when you're back working for Pharaoh, please tell him about my situation, that I've been wrongly imprisoned, but I've proven myself, you know, honorable and trustworthy and, and whatever. And um, the cupbearer goes back to work for Pharaoh and for two years, forgets all about Joseph. He, he's in the prison, whatever, just, just waiting. He has no idea what's going what's gonna to happen to him. He's just kind of rotting there um, in, in this story. Now if, you, now, if you know the story, eventually Pharaoh has a dream. The cupbearer says, oh, I remember this guy Joseph who's in jail, and he interprets dreams through his God, and you should try him. And, and, and so Pharaoh calls for him. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream, and the course of events, Pharaoh makes Joseph number two, not just in Potiphar's house, but over the whole nation of Israel. In fact, Pharaoh says, everything in the nation is under your control except for like me and my wife, me and my family. That's kind of where it ended, <laughs> But we tend to skim over the, the valley part of Joseph's story in order to get to the peak, right? We, we want to talk about Joseph being number two in the nation of, of Egypt because that's what we want for our valley story, right? When we're going through suffering and we're struggling in life, we want to be able to get to that point where we go, look, I'm struggling now, but God is going to make me number two in the nation. I'm going to have power. I'm going to, I'm going to, have, um, I'm going to have prominence. I'm going to have position in, in, in the nation, and, and I want that. And so I'm going to kind of endure this valley time because I know that the peak is coming. But there were a lot of years between Joseph being sold into slavery and Joseph becoming number two in in Egypt. We have the benefit of reading Joseph's story from from basically our cushy lives. And and certainly according to Joseph, um, we would have very comfortable, cushy lives. But in the years that Joseph spent as a a slave, as a servant, as a, a prisoner, he had no idea that at the end of his story, he was going to be a person of power and position. He, did, he didn't know that was the end of his story. In fact, I guarantee you there are moments in Joseph's story where he thought, I'm going to die in this cistern. And, th- and then he thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die in the field, but then he became a, a house servant. And then, and then he thought, I'm going to die in this prison. 
And, and then surely after two years, he thought that the cupbearer had completely forgotten about him. And, and he thought, this, I'm going to rot here. I'm never going to get out. Joseph's Valley experience, though, teach us something. And, and they teach us that God will use our problems, he'll use our position, and he'll even use our pain for his greater purpose. And he used all of that for a greater purpose. And we, and we see this once we get to chapter 45, because Joseph's position and the wisdom given to him by God during um, the seven years of plenty, because a famine was coming, you know the story, uh, Pharaoh's dream, Joseph says there's going to be seven years of plenty, and then there's going to be seven years of famine, and, and, and Pharaoh says, hey, if you can save us, do it. And so Joseph does all this stuff. During the seven years of plenty, he's able to stockpile so much food that he's able to feed all of the Egyptian people for seven years, the whole nation. And they also have enough food because Joseph was so good at what he did that they were able to feed foreigners who came to Egypt to live because they're basically the only nation around that had food. And, and this is the crucial part because it's this reason, because Egypt had food, that Joseph's 10 older brothers and now his younger brother, so there's now 11 other brothers for Joseph, they find out that Egypt has food and Jacob, Israel, sends his sons down to Egypt to buy food from their brother Joseph, but they don't know it's him, um, to sustain the family. And eventually, um, you'll see what happens, but eventually the whole group of them, about 70 people in all, come down to Egypt and they survive. The, the nation of Israel survives because Joseph is in charge in, in Egypt. So let's, let's look at, at verse, or chapter 45. Here's what it says. Uh, but so Joseph's brothers have come back to Egypt to buy more food, and Joseph is now revealing himself to his brothers, telling them who he is. Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. Um, now he did that because Joseph is a very prominent Egyptian. His brothers didn't recognize him because he looked like an Egyptian. He talked like an Egyptian. There was, they could not tell that it was like he was dressed like an Egyptian, all right? So he sends all of these people out because he doesn't want them to see him responding to these people. This is what's going on. There was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly the Egyptians heard him and then told Pharaoh's house about it. And Joseph said to his brother, I am Joseph. So he finally reveals himself to them. Is my father still living? Is, is dad still alive? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified. Don't you think? <laughs> they tried to kill him. And now he's in charge in Egypt. They were terrified at his presence. And then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into, like just in case you didn't know, I'm the Joseph you sold into, into Egypt. Like I didn't forget, I'm aware. <laughs> and now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. 
Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land. For the next five years there will be no plowing or reaping. But God, so that's twice God comes up. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God, third, he made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. You remember his two dreams? Here they are. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says, God, four times, has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children, your grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all that you have. It is clear in Joseph's story that God uses our problems and our position and even our pain for his greater purpose. But we tend to see blessings only as those things that better our situation, not those things that better ourselves. You, you ever been there? <laughs> we look at blessings as though blessings are things that give, if I get something for God, if I get a lot of presents at Christmas, that's a blessing. If I'm able to get a new car, that's a blessing. A new house, I'm able to pay things up. We see those physical things that benefit us, benefit our bottom line as, as blessings. We typically don't see those things that better who we are as a person as blessings. And so how would you feel if you were in Joseph's shoes? Tra trafficked by your siblings, Imprisoned for a crime you didn't forget, forgotten by those that you showed kindness toward, would you have felt like God abandoned you? I, I would. I have felt that way in my life. W would you feel like maybe God was punishing you for something and you said, God, what did I do? I must have done something. Clearly, you're not blessing me. You're not giving me good things that I want. So you must be punishing me for something. What did I do? How can I fix it? W would you stop following God because you weren't getting what you thought you deserved? I think there are lots of people who come into Christianity like gung-ho and, and then they ditch it because they're not getting the things from God that they think they should. And, and sometimes that's our, our fault as preachers. Hey, preacher, you told me if I came and I gave my life to Jesus that I'd get all that stuff that I've dreamed of. It's not happening. There are a whole host of reasons um, that I am glad God did not put me in Joseph's shoes. But, but we got to look at how Joseph responds, right? Four times in those verses, Joseph said that it was God who was responsible for Joseph's coming to Egypt. And it was God's plan and God's purpose that made him number two in the nation as a foreigner, unheard of. Basically, Joseph says that God was the cause of his grief in order to bring about good for Joseph, for his family, and ultimately for glory of, of God himself. Because the Jewish people, the line that Jesus comes from is saved because of Joseph. 
While Joseph's brothers were responsible for his valley experiences, Joseph seems to point to God being the root cause. And that's hard to grasp a hold of, isn't it? God caused Joseph to be thrown into a cistern and trafficked into slavery and wrongfully imprisoned? How do you feel about a God who gives you heartache and struggle and grief in order to bring about your good or the good of others or his glory? One of the things that well-meaning Christians said to um, Andy and I when, when Trent was just before he was three, when he was diagnosed with, with autism and we had no idea what that meant. One of the things that, that many, again, well-meaning Christian people said um, was that God only gives special children to special parents. You, you heard that before? That God must think you are really great parents to give you this. this let, let me just tell you, if, if you know anybody who has a child diagnosed with any kind of disability or struggle or neuro, like, do not say that. <laughs> that is not helpful at all for anybody. And it's wrong because my wife worked in the school system, and we knew a whole lot of terrible parents who cared little, if any, for their children and had kids with disabilities. How do you rectify those things? It was supposed to make us feel good, and I understand that. They shared it from a place in their heart that they wanted to make us feel good, but it did not make us feel good. In fact, it made us feel worse. And, and so we go, if God chose us to have Trent, did God choose those other parents where that child was going to be neglected and uncared for? We will never know, I think, this side of heaven, if, if God chose to give Trent to us because he knew Trent would bring our family together and make us stronger which I think was the outcome. I think we're better people for having him. But let's be honest. The vast majority of people who have a child with a disability or special needs end up divorced. It's a struggle. And so we're not going to know this side of heaven. Why? Because we look at Joseph's story. In kindness and grace... Joseph reassures his brother that everything they did to him was actually God using a terrible situation for tremendous good. Did God make his brothers sell him into slavery in Egypt? No, I don't think he did. But I think that was the occasion that God used to do something tremendous. Think about it this way. A good parent actually lets their child experience struggle and pain because he knows they know it makes the child stronger. 
Do we want, as parents, do we want our children to suffer in any way? Absolutely not. If there was a, a way that we could swoop down and completely protect them from every bad thing in their lives at all, we would have a great desire to do that as, as parents. We want to protect them from those things. But as a good parent actually knows that if they go through struggle, it will actually make them better people and they'll be able to handle more. Let's say it this way. It's better to suffer a little now at the hands of someone who loves you than to suffer a lot later at the hands of someone who doesn't. And sometimes, parents, we try to protect our children when they're with us, and then we send them into the world, and they find out real quick that mommy and daddy can't rescue them when they go to a job, and they don't do a good job at their job. Now, you might come to the end of Joseph's story and think, if I can just make it through this valley, it will lead to some incredible physical victory like Joseph. I'll have money, I'll have power, I'll have fame, because that's what God wants to do for me. I am not saying that. And I don't believe the story of Joseph is saying that um, either. And, And I say that because I go, what earthly physical victory did Moses have? What about Elijah we talked about a few weeks ago, or Peter, or Paul? Most of the people who followed God and did everything right as a believer in their lives died not a good death and didn't have money and power and position and fame and all of those things. Not every valley leads to physical victory. But every valley that we go through with Jesus can lead us to greater spiritual victory. Victory over sin, over selfishness, over hatred, over greed, over racism, over discomfort, over ego. That's what Easton talked about. Every valley that we face can actually make us better people. So what are you going through right now that is causing you grief in your life? And secondly, how can you give God the opportunity to use that for your growth, his glory, or others' good? See, Joseph succeeded because he didn't give up doing good even when nothing good was being done for him. In in the cistern, in prison, he didn't give up doing good even when nothing good was being done for him. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 says this, Do not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. 2 Thessalonians 3.13 says, Never tire of doing what is good. And I think that's the story we see from Joseph. In terrible situations where he could have given up and most of us would look at him and, and go, I'd have given up in that situation. He doesn't. He continues to do good. And because he continues to do good, instead of giving in to, to, to grief and all of those other, he, God is able to use him because he is able to grow him. If you refuse to see that God can use your grief for good, you will miss out on many opportunities for victory in your life. Joseph's brothers thought that they could 
stop God's plan, the dreams that Joseph had, by selling him into slavery. They thought this will shut him up. Joseph, no doubt, had times where he felt that his dreams must have been just that, a a dream, a pipe dream, that they were never going to come true. But God doesn't operate in spite of us. And God doesn't operate because of us as though the things we do cause him to react. God simply operates through us. Through our mistakes and our failures and our disappointments, through the valleys and over the peaks, God works through us because he is powerful enough to do that. In every valley that Joseph found himself in, hated by his brothers, trafficked into slavery, falsely imprisoned, he never stopped doing good. And so if you want to make it through the valleys of your life so that you can can look with joy on your life from the peaks, then we need to look like like Jesus. So I want to leave you this, this. Do good and keep going. Do good and keep doing good. Do good when everything is going good. Do good when everything is, is going terrible and you've got nothing with but grief. Do good and, and, and keep going because that's how the believer in Jesus makes it through the struggles of life with full assurance that God works all things, even the bad things, for his glory and your good. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us and thank you for never sending us through the valleys of our lives without being right there with us. Help us to see, even in the struggles and the difficult times, that you are present that you are leading us to something better. You're leading us to be better people, better followers of you. You're leading us to look more like your son, Jesus. And then God, help us. Help us to just like Jesus, do good and keep going. Keep doing good every day, whatever the situation. As you bring things and people and, and, and and, and circumstances in our lives, we just do good. Love others, love you, do good. Help us to do that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to Real Life Live. Our hope and prayer is that the time you've spent with us has left you encouraged and challenged in your faith. It may have also left you with some questions or maybe wondering how all this faith stuff works. So we want to help you with that. Head over to reallifecc.us for a few different ways we can connect. We're thankful you joined us today and want to extend an invitation for you to join us in person at our current home in El Dorado, Kansas at the Civic Center, 201 East Central on Sundays at 10 a.m. We hope you'll keep tuning in and growing in your faith to look more like Jesus every day. See you next time.